0: Hello, this is Ann McDonald, Director of Business Development for the Corporate Technology Group at Morris Manning and Martin Law Firm. I'm very pleased today to be able to speak with Dan Flaherty, President Mountain West Consulting, uh, a fractional sales company. For those of you who are not familiar, with fractional resources, what are some of the benefits uh, or the reasons why a CEO might consider a fractional resource over a full-time resource for their company?
1: Yeah, Ann, that's a great question and a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much uh, for having us. Um, It's a question I get a lot, and and unfortunately, I think uh, the fractional assignment is not that well known. I spent my entire career working with fortune 50 companies, right? GE and Intel and Johnson controls. When I was running businesses or running sales teams, I was not aware of the fractional assignment. So think about that, right? 25 years living in the world of sales and didn't know of such a thing as a fractional sales leader, but I realized pretty quickly, I also didn't understand small business. So in a lot of cases, when a company is growing or scaling, it starts out like the CEO performing many duties. And one of those duties is initially their self. And then maybe they hire a salesperson. So their role turns a little bit into a sales manager and then, maybe they hire their next salesperson or a few salespeople. And then, all of a sudden, they have a sales department, but yet they're still trying to be the sales leader and manage that department. But they're also managing the h r department, the finance department, right? so it's it's a tough assignment at that part in a business's life cycle. And honestly, it's where most businesses fail. You know the number one cause of a business not scaling or growing. Is the business leader thinking the recipe that got them to today is the same recipe that's going to work forever? And successful companies get through that. They realize, OK, maybe I need to build a leadership team. And that's a big decision, but you know, building a leadership team is, is a critical component of scaling your company to the next level. So that means a leader for sales, a leader for finance, right? And then they have a decision to make, which is an option I never knew existed. Do I hire a full-time sales leader or do I hire a fractional sales leader? And the, it's an economics, I think, uh, question as well. A fractional resource is a fraction of the cost. And typically you get quite high caliber with fractional resources. These people came from very successful careers and are now doing fractional assignments and we'll get into why I think it's attractive, but they're they're very skilled, they're very experienced and they're a fraction of the cost. So it's a great temporary option until you're able to afford a full-time leader. Does that answer your question?
0: It does. It does. Well, why don't you describe for us the role actually of a fractional sales leader and why you that's bet. the a, a really good benefit for the company?
1: I could assure you CEOs of companies that don't have sales leaders or good ones lose sleep at night over revenue and the sales team. They also lose sleep at night over production and quality and other business issues. So the role of any department leader is to make sure the CEO can sleep well at night, not worrying about that department, right? That's the department leader's responsibility. So a fractal sales leader comes in and loses sleep over the revenue and the sales team so that the CEO can sleep well at night. We run the department. We have in a lot of cases been given higher fire authority on people we are 100% accountable to revenue and growth of the company and manage the team. We do customer deals, right? We're the interface, the managerial interface on deals with customers. Um, there's a, a some pretty poor statistics that we've researched. We researched about a 1,000 CEOs, and we asked them a few questions, one of which is, how often do you travel with your salespeople? Over 80% of the time, the CEOs have not traveled with a salesperson in, in the last year. So, how do they know what's being said to customers? How do they know if their deals and company have been positioned well? There's a ton of risk there, in addition to a ton of potential lost revenue opportunity. So, you, you know, the role of a fractional sales leader is to carry a business card that says vice president of sales for that company um, and do it on a fractional basis. A customer would never know that we're a 1099 and not a W-2. Mm-hmm.
0: Tell us how you entered uh, yeah. this business of running a fractional sales company with, yeah. uh, with all of your experience. What prompted you in your career to consider this path?
1: Yeah, it's it's a great question. And honestly, it was over five years ago, my daughter was seven at the time and pulled me aside and said, is there any way you can come home more? When you're running a thousand global salespeople, right, and billions of dollars in revenue, it, it's a five night a week travel assignment. Uh, you know, it's the trips to Asia that really hurt because they're 10 days minimum. So you're missing recitals on weekends and ball games with your family. So what's interesting is, and I hire a lot of people from corporate America into my company who wanna make that career change. And there's always a compelling event because all of us who signed up for the sales profession a long time ago, knew the benefits and the investments we were gonna make. We knew we'd be traveling. We knew though, We'd be having nice dinners and staying at nice hotels, right? So with the benefits of the assignment come the, the investment. And at some point in time, there may be a compelling event that forces us to you know, pursue a new career path. And in that case, for me, it was a personal situation. But you know, there are a lot of very experienced sales leaders, executive vice presidents, who want to semi-retire. Fractional is a great assignment for them. They can work three days a week and semi-retire two days a week. Um, There are also situations where people have health issues, right, and maybe can't um, work full time anymore. And so fractional is a great career choice for them as well. They can stay in the profession they know and love, but yet not have to do it, you know, at the number of hours and travel that they've been doing
0: it. Well, and you you get some really seasoned people who who get to that stage in their life where they make the decision to to be a fractional.
1: <clears throat> you do. And that's the caliber I think that's most misunderstood is the opportunity. If you put it one of my clients, um, we did an exclusive arrangement with Ingersoll Rand on a product and service that they offer. That exclusivity contract with a public company like that, that's not something that school teaches you how to do, or typically uh, that a, a CEO would know how to do. But EVPs who've been in corporate America for a while, they've done a lot of those deals, right? So we were able to come in and do a deal like that with a small business and it transformed their company. I mean, completely transformed their company. And quite frankly, those deals are, Once you get to a certain level, those deals are not that hard to do, you you know, you just have to know how to do them, right? So that's, that is some of that caliber I was speaking about on uh, what's available to a CEO.
0: What are the top two to three most concerning items that you typically see in most sales departments you begin to work with?
1: Right. Yeah. Great question. Those that are unmanaged, I think would be the umbrella. So for example, do you have a tool or a way to measure what a salesperson is doing every day? We get brought in sometimes on, for example, a wrongful termination lawsuit. Uh, CEO, for some reason, got rid of a salesperson. So the salesperson's unhappy (laughs) and, and sues the company for wrongful termination. So I'll bring in attorneys in that situation all the time. And they ask a few questions, right? Show me evidence where you told the salesperson what they should do. So like an annual performance review, right? Or having goals established and clearly written down to a salesperson. Uh, Show me periodically where you've met with them and measured what they did and gave them coaching and guidance on what they should and shouldn't do. So the annual performance review, right? It's a documented piece of evidence that you had that discussion. Oh yeah, we don't do annual performance reviews, right? Um, Show me evidence where you're telling a salesperson what they should say. So is your elevator speech written down? No, you know, it's not written down. And quite frankly, I'm not sure what they're telling customers. Okay, and typically the attorney says, look, you're gonna have to pay. The, the lawsuit, <laughs> because there's no defensible evidence on how you're managing an organization. So not only is there risk in, in those three examples of not doing those, but who knows how much revenue you're missing by really not perfecting all of those items. And that's where we come in. As sales leaders, we mandate all of that, right? Because we know when those things are in place, it's a well-oiled machine and your batting average increases. You win more deals when you do those basics quite well, but in the surveying we've done over years, all of those basics are typically not in a young company or an immature company. They, they could be old, but yet you know immature in the sense that you just don't have your processes, your rigor, your controls in place. And the last thing I'll lead you with on this example is I tell CEOs this all the time. You would never run your finance department in a notepad, right? You're going to have QuickBooks or some finance tool. You're going to do your accounting by the law. You should. You should. So why wouldn't you do that with your sales department that produces 100% of your revenue for the company? Why wouldn't it be as controlled as your finance department? Now, granted, you know, the IRS has some say in that, but still, it's no excuse. The entire value of your company comes from the revenue it produces initially. So you should have those proper controls.
0: Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. Sales lives and dies by process. They should. (laughs) Is that the silver bullet or is there a silver bullet that you wish most CEOs would consider to immediately improve revenue?
1: process if you should write down your sales process it should say steps one through 18 every year you look at those 18 steps and you try to improve them maybe it turns into 19 maybe it goes down to 15 maybe we take step eight and we do it differently because i've been measuring my sales process and we seem to struggle most in step eight if a company had that culture around process rigor in the sales department, world-class. That's the number one, I think, differentiator with world-class sales organizations. Because look, a lot of CEOs think sales is artistic and they don't want to mess with Monet or Van Gogh. (laughs) And it's not. It's, in my opinion, it's 80% scientific. The best salespeople that I've run in my career, and I've managed thousands of them, do this the same great things over and over and over again, which means you can write those things down. And then if you have your whole organization following those things, then you rise the tide, right? Every vessel rises. And that's, I think if there was one piece of coaching I could give CEOs, it would be to focus first on that.
0: Considering the current economy, uh, I think the inflation rate is down today, but give us your thoughts on what a sales team should should be preparing for in case yeah. of an economic downturn or even a recession?
1: Yeah. Every one of our uh, clients and prospects are asking that question right now. What What do I don't know? I think we've been through, you know, the last three years have been tremendous in so many ways. Um, I think, you know, immediately post-COVID, the boom that's occurred is I I would say it was totally unpredictable. Nobody had a sales plan that showed that growth after COVID, I can assure you that. So we all went through these times of abundance a little bit. There's been tremendous hiring, incredibly low, right? Three and a half percent unemployment. Right now, when I hire someone, we're just lucky to get somebody. (laughs) So am I hiring the, the top talent out of three choices? Not in two years. Mm. i'm I'm fortunate to get someone. So I think we've been through this time of let's just add resources. And I think, you know, Mark Zuckerberg said this well, and I think I'm one of his calls to employees. He knows he has employees that are not productive. He told them that, right? and 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 that's just, I think, this current state of affairs. As we're going through this reset a little bit is kind of how we're coaching and guiding people uh, through it. now is a perfect time to measure productivity, and and the value you're getting out of each sales resource, which means you have to measure, right? You have to have the ability to measure, Um, but you may be forced into a situation where you do have to make cuts. Um, I have a few clients right now that are multi-billion dollar public companies, and we have hiring freezes in place directly from the CEO. So that is here. And so if the next step is potential cuts, then you have to have that ability to know where to cut intelligently.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, last point I'll, I'll say about this is for, for a CEO, it's it's very difficult because if you're a small business, there's a real, most, 90% chance, I would say, that a lot of your revenue comes from a few customers. And if one of those customers decides to put a mm-hmm. pause on buying your product or service, yeah. You've got a big problem on your hands, right? So uh, that happened during COVID. And will it happen again? Y- you know, I think the chances are more in favor of that happening. So people have to prepare, be prepared for losing their top account, maybe one of their top five accounts. And so they should have defensive plans in place for that right now. And if some of that includes cost cutting, well, that's just part of the plan.
0: What's an ideal company for your organization to work with um, or or help run today? And are there red flags of companies that you steer away from?
1: Yeah, I think uh, one of the immediate red flags is uh, we joke sometimes, but if a CEO believes they could be a sales leader better than we can, Mm -hmm. don't hire us. (laughs) (laughs) we we would offer no value. (laughs) So we do need um, a CEO that self realizes that they're at a point in their business life cycle where scaling up um, makes sense. But we ask CEOs two questions to see if they're a good fit for us. Do you like your sales team? And are you happy with your revenue position right now? If the answer is no to either one of those, then they are they do have some pain, and we love solving pain, right? We we want to work with CEOs that have pain, um, realize they can't solve the pain, right? They uh, they want to hire a cardiologist; <laughs> they, they don't want to self perform the heart operation <laughs> there, right? So uh, I, I really do think it's that workability. We have what we do has nothing to do with the industry they're in, the size of their company, where they're located on the planet. We are very agnostic. You know, what industry doesn't need a sales process? What size business doesn't need a sales process, right? Um, I say all the time- Including a law firm. (laughs) That's right, including a law firm, right? I use this analogy all the time. Professional athletes are professional, because a long time ago they mastered the basics right they probably run the fastest they jump the highest they're the strongest and then they continue to work on the finesse of the jump shot in business unfortunately it it seems to be backwards a lot everybody is so focused on the bells and whistles of their product but maybe never put the basics in place so we come in in our contract we write down our scope of work and there are 49 deliverables. Wow. Nobody, nobody else in the fractional industry and in sales does that.
0: That's amazing.
1: That's our unique sales proposition. That's our differentiator. It's in our contract. We write it down because trust me, after running big sales teams and now for five years running sales teams at small businesses, I worry about 49 things in sales. If it was 48, I'd have 48 in my contract. I do, I would never take one of those away. And a lot of CEOs don't realize they have to worry about 49 things in their sales department. I should worry about those. Um, so that's, you know, a little bit of insight into Boy, that's you your know, how we, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's intellectual property. Um, it's copyrighted and, um, an amazing thing that happened a number of years ago is I convinced the federal government to pay for our services most of the time because our 40, our secret sauce of 49 deliverables produces jobs, right? It retains jobs and there are wonderful grant programs that are hundred percent focused on job creation and retaining jobs. So because our program does that and there's taxpayer dollars to be had uh, through wonderful grant programs, I linked the two and we're in a lot of their brochures right now. And it's a wonderful partnership that we have.
0: How, do, how has technology uh, impacted uh, the measurement, the uh, the process um, with the way that a sales organization is run today and how yeah. they communicate with with their customers
1: yeah great question when i started selling near cleveland 30 years ago i would eight to five i'd be all over right western pa and eastern ohio driving all over the place meeting with people taking notes in my notebook and then get home eat dinner and then for two hours i'd sit in salesforce our crm at the time at ge and I'd be typing all that stuff into the tool, <laughs> right? So now, with mobile technology and apps and GPS locating, none of that occurs. If a salesperson has their phone on them and they have the right technology, it's GPS locating them. It knows when they're at customers, right? if if it, if you're at a customer meeting and it goes beyond the meeting invite allotted time, The CRM will score that as a great meeting because it thinks, well, if the customer wanted to talk longer, it must have went well, right? So you have all of this insight and measurability into what a salesperson does that now you can do forensics on to look for best practices, look for improvement opportunities, does a great job ranking salespeople against each other to see who's doing well in certain situations. Because again, you know, and it's, it's really, it's not that strategic. We're not cracking plutonium. Um, a sales leader's job is to make sure that everybody gets better. And when you make a small incremental improvement in the whole team, in most cases, that's millions of dollars in there, right? So don't go for the shiny uh, object. Don't chase squirrels really a sales leader's best success is improving the whole team and technology gives them wonderful metrics to do that today. Now with the customer experience, I mean, we've all been through this right as humanity. Um, You know, the texting has replaced emails. What's interesting, though, is the way you communicate with a customer is still pretty similar, but the means by which you do, it's different. So now there's this, you know, shortage of time on text, right? Like people don't respond to texts now. Um, But I think that's the sales leader's uh, role as well, is to guide the organization on the best way to have customer interaction. You know, COVID changed a lot of this. I was on five to eight airplanes a week on average. And I probably didn't have to do that. In fact, I know I didn't have to do that. Yeah. Um, This remote, you know, technology now, like how we're conducting this meeting. There there was a a survey done by McKinsey and Company. Procurement departments are willing to do contracts up to $500 million over Zoom, (laughs) right? So you don't have to bring the Calvary Anymore yes. in front of them to do a deal like that, and I think that's added a tremendous amount of productivity to our economy. Um, but if salespeople are not taking advantage of that well, they're not being as productive as as they should. So you know you have to cr- you have to bring technology into a sales organization today and maximize it because you will be more productive.
0: That's great. That's great. Are there any other benefits that your company brings into a client engagement beyond the sales department or revenue?
1: Yeah, that's a great question too. The role of fractional exists in all departments. So you can hire a fractional CFO. Mm -hmm. A fractional CFO might have 15 to 20 clients and they do it all remotely. Sales is an in-person profession. It really is. So the way we engage with a company is we're there at a minimum a day a week. So we are part of that leadership team. We're present. We're physically there. Okay. And we spend a lot of time there in person. You know, when I coach salespeople, it's always in person. Um, We travel with customers, right? Now, because we're there. We also get to see all warts in the business. If they're struggling in the accounting department, we're gonna we're gonna see and hear about it often, right? So my organization has established very strong uh, networks in each of the geographies uh, we manage. We have a very strong network of resources in all functional areas. Oh. So if a company is expanding and needs to build a new plan, we know a lot of great commercial real estate folks. If they need legal help, we know a lot of wonderful attorneys. So I often say it's our night job, right? Our day job is to help the sales department, but our night job is to help uh, the CEO with all their other issues because the CEO does not have time to build a network like that, right? They're running a company. So one of the values we bring in addition to sales is that network we've built, the resources we've had, for example, our grant program, there's no grant billboards, on interstate 85, (laughs) right? So they would never know about this, but we do. Right. So that other uh, value that we bring to an organization sometimes far exceeds the value of what we do. I have a, Uh, had a client for three years um, who built, uh, we grew so much, we had to build a manufacturing plant. We found them $1.7 million of grant funding to help build that that $6 million plant. Our fee was nowhere near 1.7 million, right? So a lot of times the value we bring is far beyond just the sales organization. So not only did we grow the company, but we helped them really fund um, their factories. So that was pretty
0: neat. What a tremendous differentiator.
1: It is. Yeah, it is. And we have passion to help CEOs be successful. Look, you know, the Entrepreneurs Organization did a study. You have a 96% chance of failure as a CEO getting to $1 million in revenue. The odds are stacked against you big time. And you have a 99% failure getting to $5 million. It's a tough uh, role as an entrepreneur. Yeah. So the the better resources you can have as part of your team, I think the better you're able to navigate those incredibly difficult waters. The, the road and the river will never be easy. Um, and I'm sure they all know that, right? They feel that pain every day, but it goes... Having that those that resource pool to help you get through it is is better than going at it solo.
0: Well, so you help the companies grow outside of of just their their, uh, or in addition to just yeah. the sales sales you function. Got,
1: well, think about it too. We could break companies very easily if all we cared about is bringing in more orders, more orders, more orders, and we didn't think about can the plant produce it. Mm-hmm. Is there staff to do it? We'd break the company pretty quickly, right? So that's why the in-person assignment is so critical, so that we can watch the company as well as we grow.
0: I would say you'd become a very important part of the the management team. Yeah,
1: yeah. And in fact, Ann, I miscalculated that when I started my company. I was under the impression that these were quick assignments, (laughs) drop in drop in
0: like a SWAT team and that's
1: right okay fix it next one but what I realized is when we were done fixing it they had a choice to make hire a full-time person at probably three times Dan's cost or keep Dan I know Dan Dan's been successful he grew my company I'm going to keep Dan so we've been with clients for two three four years and that prevents oh. me from finding new clients, right? So okay. that's why I had to very quickly figure out, the only way I could scale my company is to hire more me. And now we're uh, yeah. able to help more CEOs at the same time. Um, but yeah, I really thought they'd want to get rid of me after a little while.
0: You're too valuable.
1: Well.
0: <laughs> you become embedded.
1: Yeah. <laughs> really yeah, embedded. I mean, and it's the relationship factor too that I that I definitely miscalculated. So no, it's been a wonderful thing. And, you know, as long as and it's a great position for us to be in too. As long as we like working with the company, we'll keep working with them, right? Sure. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's fun to say. Uh, um, you know, you need to move on sometimes. And because our four to nine deliverable, by the, by the way, is to backfill ourselves. We find the full time sales leader. Uh, we onboard uh, them. We hand them over the keys and the entire playbook that we put in place. All 49 deliverables are nicely packaged. We've run it for a year or more, so it's working. And we hand them over that nice playbook with the keys and, you know, stay on a couple months, make sure they're doing a good job. And it's a wonderful transition for a CEO to get that great sales leader.
0: Boy, what a key to to success. You don't just let them fall off a cliff once you... Yeah. Once you uh, once you leave, Dan, yeah, this has I been. Wouldn't,
1: I wouldn't want to be the CEO trying to do that. They just don't have time to do all that. Yes. Right?
0: Yeah. This has been such a pleasure. Uh, I really enjoyed talking with you and learning about your company. Um, you want to quickly say how how people could get in touch with you?
1: Yeah. Excellent. So uh, appreciate the time today, Anne. I, I love uh, doing these. I do, uh, we love also doing public service announcements, for example, on grants. Um, and it's a misunderstood or not even known topic. Um, so we do education seminars all the time on what they are and, and how they could be of benefit to a company. But um, the best way to get in touch with me personally is through email, uh, dan at mountainwestconsultants.com. And uh, you could also check me out on LinkedIn and connect with our company there. And would love to put you in touch with our advisory network. Um, you know, we have resources in uh, most cities. So again, with that in-person assignment, um, we all do the same thing. We all implement that same 49 Deliverable Playbook. Uh, We have relationships with the federal government that allow a good uh, portion of that to be funded by taxpayer dollars um, and have those relationships locally with other resources that you may need. So we'd love to understand your goals and challenges in your company and um, see if we may be of assistance.
0: This has been a pleasure. They can contact you or we'll have our contact information uh listed so that they can contact us and we'll we'll definitely put them in touch with you. Thank you, Dan. Thank this you. This is a Never pleasure. Wait. Bye. Bye bye.